First off, I just want to start by saying thank you, Brother Bill and Sister Peggy, for trusting me. I give you just the honor today of thank you for allowing me to be here and to speak at home and in my church, in my family. I really appreciate you entrusting me with that. Um, I would like to share with you um, a message today. I'm going to call it, It's My Pleasure. I'm going to Chick-fil-A you. It's my pleasure. And so I want to start off with the scripture, um, Matthew 20, verse 28. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture, so y'all just be prepared. We're at church, so we're going to read some scripture. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to just keep that that scripture in mind because this scripture is the reason why I'm here today. If you don't know me, know me my name is Emily Wisdom, and I'm actually um, Sam's wife. He's a children and youth pastor here, and I'm usually with the children, teaching them, and I love that. I've enjoyed every moment of it. But the Lord has just done something, has been working on my heart for the last about year now. And um, my background is in culinary and hospitality. I actually have a degree in culinary arts and, ho- and hospitality management. So I love to cook. I love to serve. It just, it makes me happy. I love to see other people happy. I want to know how you want your coffee because I want to make it just right. And that's just, that's just me. Um, and I learned to do serving. I learned that I loved to serve when I was around 18, when I got my first job at On the Border in in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas. I did work at the one here too. So that's my background. That's my area of my personal life that I am drawn to, what I'm called to, what I find passionate is hospitality. I love people. I can't help it. I love you. All right, I want to talk to you. But why am I here speaking in front of my church and I'm preaching, if you will. Last summer, we were at Youth for the Nation. Sam and I were in a pastoral session. And I was praying and I was worshiping and I was giving God a little holy suggestion. And I was like, God, I I really enjoy, I'm really enjoying this atmosphere here, but you could do it better. You know, I suggest that, for one, this buffet line is taking way too long, and they could do it better. Do y'all ever see something in life when that your expertise, and you're like, it could be done better? Okay, well, that's what I was doing, and I was like, Lord, why? Why is this so hard? It's not, it's not that hard. And, and then I was like, you know, Lord, while you're at it, I love to hear from men, but sometimes it's really nice to hear from a woman, just, it just is. I'm like, Lord, bring some more women into the ministry to speak boldly, to speak your word. And, oh, God, as a suggestion, can you bring some more pastor's wives, too, to encourage us other pastor's wives? Because it's really hard. It's a hard place to be at because everybody's talking to the pastors, but they're not talking to the pastor's wives. And you're in there. You're expected to do things. You have expectations, but nobody tells you what they are. So I was just giving all these suggestions to the Lord telling him what he should do. Y'all be careful doing that. And the Lord was, I was worshiping and doing all this, and the Lord said, well, Emily, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom for many. He came to serve. 
Emily, what do you like to do? You like to serve. You <laughs> and I was like, Lord, I didn't mean me. I've got enough going on. I'm in a lot of things. I don't have time for that, Lord. I, I meant for you to call someone else. But I learned my lesson. And so here I am. And I actually, after Youth for the Nations, we came home. And I just, I have never had an encounter with the Lord where I heard him speak so clearly as I did that day saying, hey, go do something. This is the reason why you have a heart for hospitality. This is why you like to serve is because I'm going to use you to teach others not just to serve, but to serve well. Let's do hospitality within the church. Everybody comes to eat, so let's, let's learn to set up a buffet table right. Let's do it right. All right, let's serve. And so I actually sent all of these ideas to the director of YFN. I don't know this man, but I sent him a long email. And I was like, eh, you had some things that were great, but we can do them better. I didn't think that was going to go very well. But I knew the Lord was telling me to do this in an honorable way. So I did it. A couple of months later, he calls me and says, hey, I want you to come teach. I want you to come teach my leadership staff at Youth for the Nations how to serve and how to serve well. So I did that back in the fall. Uh, I went and I taught a, a group of about 50 young, they're college students and the faculty about hospitality and about serving. And it went well. And so now I'm here, Brother Bill has allowed me to, to share kind of what is on my heart. And I want to just kind of share with y'all. So that's why I'm here, if you're wondering. <laughs> it's because the Lord told me to. <laughs> All right. So we are spiritual beings and we serve a spiritual God. But our daily life is not always filled with supernatural encounters with the Lord. We just walk. We walk with the Lord and we listen and he leads and he guides us. Whether you know it or not, he's leading and he's guiding you if you'll listen. And so while we're doing our daily walk with the Lord, we need to know how to serve him and how to serve others just by walking. And by serving others and meeting other people's needs, you can either bring people towards Jesus, you can make Jesus more attractive, or you can push them away just as easy. You gotta be mindful of what, what you do. Is your life, your daily life outside of church, does it make people wanna follow you? Or does it push others away? What is your life, how are you serving? Maya Angelou was a famous poet, civil rights activist, and a victim of abuse. She was actually the first African-American streetcar worker in San Francisco. And this is what she said. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. If you want to be Christ-like, you have to do what he did. He served. So what is serving? In the King James Version, the word serve is mentioned 37 times and it's translated in different variations with servitude to do a service to obey to yield to or to be a slave so if you insert that those definitions of serve into the scripture that we read the son of man who's jesus came not to be served but to do service be a slave to to yield to others and to give his life as a ransom for many 
The word serve is actually a verb. It's got to be acted out. It's not stale. It's not stagnant. You have to do it. You can't just have all these emotions and these thoughts and these want-tos and these even a voice. You have to serve. You have to do it. It's so going to require you to do something. But what you need to know about serving is it's not natural. Our hearts don't start out with the desire of wanting to think of others. It's a learned, it's practiced. You got to make yourself want to do it. So let's find out what our hearts are naturally. How are our hearts naturally? If we'll turn to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. If you catch that word, it's an, it's an action. Sometimes we can't control our thoughts. Our thoughts can be bad too. But he's going to reward us based on our actions. So just any time in life, whether you're serving or whatever you're doing, we have to constantly be putting ourselves in check. Like, why did I do whatever I did? Was that a secret motive that was good? Why did I do what I did? Lord, help my heart to be in line with you. Help me to do this for the right reason, not for the wrong secret motives. So today, as I go through this, this message, and I'll try to be as, as fast as I can, but I want to use the backdrop of Ruth. The story of Ruth really speaks to me, not only as serving, but just as a woman. And so I want to, I want to use that, if you will. Ruth was committed, and Ruth was loyal, and she was not even an Israelite. So I'm going to do a real quick recap of the story of Ruth, in case you're not familiar with it. In the days of Judges in Israel which was a very, very dark time in history. And when I say the time of the judges, I don't mean like Judge Judy or divorce court or whatever. Judges were warriors. They came to save the Israelites and turn them around from their wicked days and get them back on the right path. They were warriors. So in the time of, of judges, there was an Israelite man who thought he knew better. He took his wife and his two sons and they left the promised land and they moved to the land of Moab. And Moab, they worshiped false gods. They had all kind of idolatry. They were not the people that you wanted to be hanging around with. But he chose to move his family there. And while there, the two sons married two Moabite women. One of, the name, one of their names was Ruth. While they were also still in Moab, the father dies and also the two sons. So the woman, her name was Naomi, and Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law. What is she going to do? So she hears that the Lord has been good and the Lord has been faithful back in Judah. And so she decides to go back, to, back home. She decides to go back to God. And so both of her daughters-in-law, they say the same thing. So we're going to pick up that story in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. says, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. 
So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So Naomi is saying, you don't have any commitment to me. You fulfilled your duty. Just go back on home. If you skip down to four, um, wait, sorry, verse 10. It says, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. So in verse 10, it says, they said. So this is Orpha and Ruth. They're both saying the same thing. No, we want to go with you and your people. And so later on in here, Ruth tells him again, no, you're good. You're good. You just go on home. Go do what you, what you need to do. And Orpha decides to, she'll go back to comfort. She'll go back to her family. She'll go back to her gods. She'll do the easy thing. But Ruth, if you skip down to 14, it says, and again they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her sister-in-law, has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the first thing that you need to know about to be able to serve and to serve well is you need to know how to submit. Ruth knew how to submit. She had a commitment that she had made to her mother-in-law and she stuck with it. She submitted her own desires. I'm sure she was more comfortable to go back home to her family, to her gods, to her way of life in Moab. But she said, nope, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna cling to my mother-in-law because I submit to you, you're my family now. You're my family. We must think of others before we think of ourselves. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you gotta obey everybody else around you and let your needs go, but you need to submit to others in a way that you are thinking of their needs before you think of yourself. You need to make them feel good. You need to make people feel loved. You need to make people feel Jesus. Don't turn them away from it. So Ruth submitted to Naomi. She served Naomi. Here, she remember, she's not an Israelite. She's not serving God, but she is serving her mother-in-law. And I'm sure Ruth made God very attractive to her. She probably lived a very good life that made her daughter-in-law want to follow her. So I have a story about when I was working at On the Border, in Dallas, that on the border is no longer there, and it's sad. But anyways, while I was working there, there was a man named Nemo. Now, Nemo was not just this little quaint little fish, you know, little man that was just easy going. La, 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 la. He was not that. You knew when second shift started because Nemo was in the house. Nemo was a huge guy. He was probably around Ronnie's size. He was, he was tall, and he was big Mexican man. And Nemo was in charge. He was head of the line cooks. He stood in the middle. And Nemo 
is going to tell you how things are, and you don't get to ask anything of Nemo. So y'all know who Nemo is now, right? You got this picture in your mind? Okay, so one night I'm working, and I'm in the weeds. If y'all don't know what that means, that means I'm overwhelmed. That's kitchen talk for I'm in the weeds. You know, you just say, like, when you're, you got way too much going on. So I was in the weeds, and I had messed up an order, and I had to tell Nemo. And so I go into the kitchen, and I hear Nemo, and he's screaming across the, the kitchen, the breezeway there with another server because another server messed up, and the server is just chewing him out. And Nemo's like, I don't care. Put the order in, and you can wait in line. You can go across the screen, and I'll get to it when I get to it. It's not my problem. Nemo did not care about you. Nemo only cared about his time on the clock and his orders, and he's going to put it out right. He was a fantastic cook, but it only mattered about his time on his clock with his cooks. And so here I am. I was probably around 19 years old. I'm having to go talk to Nemo because I need my order because my tip's being affected. (laughs) And so I go in the kitchen, and I just see this other situation taking place, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so I go up to the kitchen, and I was like, Nemo, what do you want to drink? (laughs) Even though I need food, I need my food out. But if you've ever worked in a kitchen, you know it gets hot. It's very, very hot. And so Nemo just looks at me, and he was like, and he doesn't speak much English, but he was just like, whatever. And so I just turn around, and I get him like our biggest to-go cup, and I get him some ice-cold lemonade. And I stick it through that window, and I say, here you go, Nemo. What do you think he did? Nobody ever cares about Nemo. Nobody ever cares about the kitchen. They only care about their orders coming out on time so they can get their tips, so they can serve the customers. From that moment on, Nemo forgot about everybody else's order. He said, Mia Moore, what you need? What you need? From that moment on, I went from just being an ordinary server. He changed his tone to me. I was Mia Moore or Miha. I was his daughter. I became his daughter Sam actually worked there. He could probably tell you. Nemo played favorites. Emily's food came out first. Because anytime I went up there, and I, every shift, I would say, what you want? And I'd make him a good old strawberry lemonade and stick it through the window. When you stop to think of other people's needs before your own, you will change their attitude. You will change their heart to say, what can I do for you? I want to serve you. And I'm not saying, like, let's serve others to get what we want. But we want to change people's hearts. We want to lead people to Jesus. If you're only thinking about yourself and putting yourself first, yes, I needed my order out. But from that, on, from that moment on, man, I had, the, I had the eye of the kitchen. So be nice to the kitchen staff. <laughs> So the next thing you need to know about serving, the little tool you need, is you need to satisfy. You've got to see a need, fill a need. If you see something that needs to be done, let's satisfy that need. All right? So remember that Ruth left everything she knew. She yielded to Naomi. She submitted to Naomi. And she might have felt helpless and overwhelmed and lost. She was in a new town, a new place. New family. But if you read back in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2, you see that Ruth is going to satisfy a need. It says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. 
who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. She saw a need. She was hungry. The Bible doesn't say that she went out and prayed earnestly, Lord, what do you have me to do? What should I do? She saw a need and she filled it. Not everything has to be over-spiritualized, okay? If you see a need, let's fill it. Let the Lord do the work. Let him see that you were willing and you were able. Sometimes you don't have to pray about everything. Just see a need and fill a need. So I'm going to skip down to verse 7, right around. And she didn't just fill a need, but she did it well. The foremans are asking, and Boaz ends up finding out and asking, who is this woman? And it says in verse 7, it says, she has been hard at work ever since she came out here, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So she didn't just fill a need and halfway do it. She worked hard, and she did it well. If you've ever had that feeling that you wanted to help and you wanted to serve, just ask somebody. Ask somebody. We'll find somewhere for you to serve, either here in the church or in your community. There's always something to do. There's always a need that needs to be met, even if it's just sending a card to let somebody know that you've been thinking about them, making a phone call to the elderly, going to seeing people in the nursing home. There's always something that can be done to serve. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to cost you a lot of money or even a lot of time. But just those thoughts satisfy their needs. But in order to satisfy their needs, you kind of got to get to know them. You got to know somebody. Um, Working in the hospitality industry for years, I've picked up a few tricks of the trade or things that kind of would make me unique as a server that would get me repeat business and build up my clientele wherever I was working. So I've worked in coat check. I've worked valet, which is really fun. Hummers are really fun to drive. I'm a terrible driver, but driving a Hummer into like a big, um, like four-story car garage is it's pretty intense. It's fun. I've worked coat check, valet, bartend, cleanup crew, setup crew, whatever it is, I've done it. But one of the things that I would do um, when I was just waiting tables is I would try to see a need of the table, whatever it was, before they asked. If you can meet their need before they ask for it, it gets your atten- their attention on you like, oh, they see my need. They see what I need. They open their wallets. And so if a family came in, a family came in of, of a bunch of children, I thought, they're going to need napkins. They're going to need some napkins. So I wouldn't even ask. I would just go to the kitchen, and one time when I would come back to the kitchen, I'd just lay a stack of napkins That mother was so happy. She was so happy just to have napkins readily available. She didn't have to wait for the mess to be made for me to go back in the kitchen and forget, so it was there. Another thing that's really disgusting, it's not something that I like, but a lot of men dip, okay? So what I would do is I would find a styrofoam cup, put some paper towels in the bottom of it, and just slide it to them on the bar top. Be like, here you go. Men loved it. It was something that I saw their need, what they're going to need, and I provided it. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't something that I liked or I was like, whatever, but I saw what their needs were. Does that make sense? All right. You're with me, Brother Ken. I got you. All right. 
<laughs> so I'm not trying to give you advice on how to, you know, get the next tip or go work the IHOP breakfast rush. But everything in life, whatever your passion is, whatever your desires are, whatever field of study you are, you can take that knowledge of serving whoever you're serving and you can use it for the kingdom. You can use what you've got. God gave you your skills and your abilities for a reason. So just bring them into the kingdom into, in whatever atmosphere you're in and just serve others. Find those needs that people need and make them feel loved. Submit to them. Satisfy their need. Remember that, that serving is a verb. It's got to be acted out. So the next thing that you need to do, and this is a very, very hard one. This is the one that you got to really check yourself pretty often. You got to have servitude with anonymity. That's a very hard word, anonymity. Okay. Basically, it means you got to be completely subject to someone else while being anonymous. The definition is the quality or state of being unknown to most people. The biblical definition, don't do things for show like the religious leaders. So Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go out to the other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among the strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So while Ruth is out in the field, she is submitted to Naomi. She is satisfying a need and she is serving and being anonymous. She's not going out in the field knowing that it's Boaz's field saying, I'm going to go get me a husband. She went out there to just serve. And she did it in a way that God brought the reward. She didn't bring that reward on herself. God brought that reward to her. And she was not even an Israelite. But she was doing things in the right way with the right attitude. And God brought that reward to her. And here, we're not even to the end of the story. And she's being rewarded. She's getting a better work environment. She's getting nicer co-workers. The men aren't going to harass her. She's getting free water that she didn't even have to draw up. Boaz is throwing all of these things at her and giving her these rewards. Boaz's heart was affected and she was not even serving him. She was still serving Naomi. There's no limit or no boundaries of where you serving can affect others. It is just, you serve and it just affects. You don't even know who it's affecting. So here, serving and being anonymous, it says in Matthew 23, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but to sum it up, it says, Jesus is saying, don't be like the religious leaders. Don't wear the big bells, the, the boxes with the long tassels on your, on your robe. Don't love the place of honor sitting at the front table. Don't desire the titles. 
Don't do that. Don't do that. At the end of it, it says, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, titles are not a bad thing. We have our pastor here. We have all different things. Titles are not bad. But the seeking and the love of that title, that's where you get in trouble. Be like, I'm going to serve here, so they'll call me this. I want that name. Ah, I want to do this, so people will see me serve. That's when you got to check yourself because you're going to end up in a world of trouble because you're going to get rewarded for your secret motives. Where is your heart? Why are you doing the things that you want to do. If you're doing a job and looking for praise of, a, of another human, they're going to let you down because we're humans. We disappoint people. That's what we do. But if you're doing something for the right reasons and letting God reward you, he will never disappoint you. God sees your work. So what else matters? If he sees you, that's all that matters. Let him reward you, not others. Be a Ruth. So in the hospitality industry, you'll notice, Kaylee will know this, when you're a photographer or you're serving, you wear black. You're going to wear black because you want to blend in. You don't want the attention to be on you because you're in the background, you're serving others. You don't want to be a part of the show. She wants the pictures and she doesn't want people looking at her. I'm not telling everybody just to go out and wear black all the time, which it's a beautiful color. I love black. I look great in black. But there's a difference in your attitude. If you go to a Rangers game, you're going to see people in neon. Neon, they're saying, hey, popcorn, cotton candy, three-foot margarita, all of these things. They're going to tell you that they're handling money and they're bringing you a service. They're bringing you a good just like a server, but they're not serving. They're a salesman. There's a difference. What are you wearing are you, are, you being, are you selling yourself or are you serving? Okay? So you got to have those mentalities. Don't serve to be seen. Serve to affect someone's heart and turn them towards Jesus. It's my pleasure. It is my pleasure to serve you. What can I get you? What can I do to make your life easier? What can I make you, do for you to make you smile today? Sometimes people just need to know that they are seen, that they're heard. They need a hug. Be a Ruth. In Philippians 2, turn to Philippians. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. I know I've got a lot of scriptures here, but I promise I took about half of them out. So if you want to know, there's, there's a lot more that I could bring out with, with serving. <laughs> so be a Ruth. Submit. Submit to others. Serve others. Satisfy their needs. The last point that I want to, that you must, you must have, and it's so critical, is you got to sustain. You can't just commit, but you got to stay committed. You've got to sustain. Okay? 
if you remember in the beginning of Ruth, both daughters-in-law, they said the same thing. They both had good thoughts, but they didn't both have good actions. Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. She did what she said. So I'm going to kind of finish up this story real quick. Because when you're committed and when you sustain the longevity, you go through the ups and the downs and you stay committed, there's a long-term bonus. There's a long-time reward that's coming. So I'm going to pick up back in chapter 2, verse 19. So this is Naomi, or Ruth comes home to Naomi and shows her all of the blessings that Boaz has given her that day. And she says, Naomi says, where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with this young with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll feel safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in the early summer. And all of the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth goes home and tells her Naomi this huge blessing that it has done and it says that Boaz has invited me back to sustain, to put in the hard work. The blessing, this, the bigger blessing hasn't came yet. She's got to sustain. She's got to go out and work those fields every day with a good attitude to serve anonymously. She still, she doesn't really understand probably what a redeemer is. She doesn't understand who Boaz is, that Boaz can redeem. She, he can buy back the field that belongs to the family and marry her and redeem her, bring her from that shameful state of being a widow and bring her back to a place of honor. She doesn't fully understand, but she still serves. She sustains. But Naomi recognizes who Boaz is. Naomi says, go do this, daughter. Stay with him. Commit. And as the story continues, Boaz does end up redeeming Ruth, marries her. They have children. She's the great-grandmother of King David who is in the lineage of Jesus. Because of all of her things, how she served and how she served well, she placed herself and allowed God to give her the reward and allowed God to put her where she needed to be to change history. This Moabite woman comes in and is in the history of Jesus. Now, I can talk about commitment and sustainability all day long because Brother Bill and Sister Peggy right here are the epitome of sustaining. They have led by example about what it means to sustain. Yes. They have sustained, they have shown a generation what it means to commit and stay through the hard times, through the good times, through the dry times, through the muddy times, they have sustained. But I want to bring some honor to somebody else. I want to honor my mother my mother, 
made sure I was here every Sunday. I have a very unique situation. I was in this church family before I was born. (laughs) Not many people can say that. But my mama made sure I was here. If she was working, she found a ride for me or I would stay with Aunt Rhonda. She'd paint my fingernails. It was great. But my mama shared her faith with me. She knew that I needed Jesus more than I needed anything else. And she was committed. She sustained through it all. Through all these years, she made sure that I was here. Thank you, mama. Mama knew what I was going to need. But while I've been here through my whole life, I've been able to witness a lot of other people sustaining, and you don't know how much of an impact it has made on my life. I was able to observe different men in our congregation that have sustained, that showed up, that led a life. There's other people that have, Aunt May, Aunt May's sustainability, Sister Linnell, Brother and Eddie and Sister Dolores, all of these have passed away from us, but I know what they did. I know they showed up. But there is one man. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of men that have, I'm not trying to play favorites, but there's one particular man that has went above and beyond in my, in my history, in my story, that showed up for me. This man never made kids seem unimportant. He saw me every Sunday and he would be happy to see me. He loved me. He made me feel like I was important from from childhood. Now, he's not my family, my blood family, but he's my family. Now, Brooklyn and Haley, I got baptized when I was about nine years old, right here, right here. And I decided to get baptized, and it's a big deal. You invite your family. You want them to be a part, right? It's a huge celebration. You want them to be here. So I invited a lot of people because I was excited. At nine years old, Yeah, I was ready. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve the Lord, so I invited people. And I was baptized right over here, and I remember coming up out of that water and looking and turning back, and right there at the video booth, there's Brother Don Milam. Brother Don got off work early, and he stood back there. He was covered in mud, but he came. He came, and he showed up. You don't know how much that meant to me. And there's other people that have done that, have been there for that. But that sticks out in my mind because from that moment, I said, that's what I want. I want a man like that. I want a man that's going to show up for me to sustain, to be on the pew with his wife and family, to raise them in that way. I want a man like that. That is the level of commitment and sustainability that you don't see when you are sustaining, but you're affecting people. You're affecting people in ways you have no idea, but you do. I remember praying, Lord, I want a man that will sit on the pew with me. I wasn't specific because if you don't know, I don't get to sit on the pew with Sam very much. (laughs) But it's even better because we get to serve together. But having those opportunities and seeing what you, what you see in other people's life and seeing their commitment, what's important to them, it can affect kids. It can affect adults. But there is no limit to how much you can affect other people's hearts. 
just like Ruth, she wasn't trying to go out and serve and gain Boaz's affection and attention. She went out and she was serving Naomi. And in doing that and serving others, she affected Boaz's heart. And Boaz saw her and was like, yeah, I've seen all that you've done. Everybody knows about it. Everybody knows what you've done because you've done it well. Let me tell you, I'll take care of you. Show up. Sustain. Whatever you've said you're going to do, let's do it. Let's do it well. So Ruth and Orpha, the two daughters-in-law, they had the same exact opportunities. They were from the same country. They married two brothers. They both lost their husbands. But one was truly committed. Some of the times we have to put in the hard work within our commitment. Orpha said the right things. But she reminds me so many of so many Christians. They have a love for people and they even love the word of God, but they're just not doers. In this walk we have with Jesus, we have to do something. We have to do something. If we decide to just have feelings or love or all, just you're just in your feelings, but we don't, it doesn't cost us anything, we don't do anything, then what's the point? Ruth left everything that was comfortable. She left her family, her gods, her home. Because of Ruth's commitment and her sustainability, you can come on up, Brother Keith. She's now in the lineage of Jesus. Now, Jesus is another story. There's so many stories about him serving. Because he came to serve, not to be served. Jesus didn't just have feelings. He did something. He gave. And he gave it all. We all know the scripture, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't just come to this earth just for feels. Or I've got good intentions. But he gave. He did something. If you want to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and in your walk with with Christ, if you want to serve and affect other people's hearts, you want to see some fruit, you've got to serve. you got to serve well. you got to do something. It's going to cost you something. So we're going to have one more song of worship. And I want to give you time to just ask the Holy Spirit, like, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Maybe he's asking you just to commit today just to him for the very first time. Lord, I trust in you. Lord, help me to be a Ruth. Help me to learn to serve. Help me to to walk with you, to sustain, to submit, to satisfy. We want to give you that opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit and just to listen to what he's saying. So we ask that everybody just stay here in the sanctuary for this last song unless it's an emergency. And just just meditate on, Lord, what are you saying to me? What what is my next step? And I want to leave you just with a challenge this week. Serve someone. Do something. Send that card. Call your grandmother. See how they're doing.
you to find a 